Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. It's been said that the greatest sermon ever preached is the teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins this teaching with incredibly profound beatitudes that put us all in the way of blessing. Let's open our Bible now to Matthew chapter 5 and look at the beginning of this incredible teaching of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are just just being blessed in Jesus, just uh, spending time with Jesus, growing to know him. We're, we're coming up on the, the end of the year, um, just a few days left in November. Again, hopefully everybody had a good Thanksgiving and you've just been practicing Thanksgiving with Jesus, just we ought to have a heart of of increasing thanksgiving in every aspect of our lives. It, uh, you know, the scripture tells us in First uh, Thessalonians five, I believe, is verse seventeen to to be thankful in all circumstances, um, and we know that because Romans eight twenty eight says that that God will work all things for our good. If we're really walking in Christ, he'll work everything for our good. If we are, if we are, if we are laboring to know Jesus and to walk with him, uh, even, even our mistakes, even our sins will work for our good. He will use it for our good. Obviously, that doesn't mean we ought to intentionally live a disobedient and sinful life. But if, if we have an increasing lifestyle of living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, Melanie, then, um, then, then, then everything in our lives, the Lord will use um, for our benefit. So thank you, Lord Jesus. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just keep running after Jesus, Jason, right? So we finished John 8 last time. We completed eight chapters in John. We have taught now every verse uh, in the Gospel of John from chapters one through eight. I don't know how many teachings it is. Again, Stephen would know. I think it's around 45 teachings um, for, for John, from 40 to 45 teachings, I think, for the first eight chapters. And we're, we're coming up on the, on the holiday season, and so... Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a few different messages here, and certainly um, we're gonna get back to Lord willing and pick up where we left off in John nine, which is incredible. And Lord willing, we'll complete the Gospel of John, and uh, and so we'll have this entire Gospel exposited verse by verse by verse. Um, um, at Kingdom Discipleship, we do Bible exposition. We do some topical teaching, but but we we simply try to 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 take the Bible and verse by verse by verse by verse open it up, exposit it, and really get to see its meaning and application uh, in our lives as uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ. So so today we're gonna we're gonna do Matthew chapter five, and in the coming 
upcoming teachings. We're going to do some Christmas teachings. That may start two or three from now. I'm not sure. But um, today we're going to do Matthew 5, a Bible study yesterday. We had a Bible study, and uh, man, everybody, uh, everybody did a good job, man. People were focused. They were thoughtful. It's a hard teaching. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it, you know it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the Beatitudes that we went over last night and we'll be discussing this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And the principles here are, uh, are overwhelming. This, uh, this begins the famous Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Mountain by Jesus. And, you know, considered the greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher of all time. Uh, the sermon is a lifestyle sermon. It's a sermon on how we are to live our lives in Jesus. It's not so much a sermon on, on faith and belief, although certainly there are, there are parts of it that relate to that. It's not a sermon as much on salvation, right? We are, we are saved by what Jesus Christ has done. We're saved by trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Um, nothing we do can get us to heaven. Now, once we become Christians, once we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, right? John 1, 12 says, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so once we've received Jesus Christ, Right? How do you do that? Well, uh, a Christian is someone who has come before Jesus, humbled themselves before Jesus or the Heavenly Father, and acknowledged our sinfulness, our hopelessness, our helplessness. Um, they've agreed with what the Bible says about them that all human beings are sinful. Romans 3.23 says Everyone is sinful and has fallen short of God's holy standard. And in that place of humility, they've gone before Christ and they have acknowledged their sinfulness and acknowledged their belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has come into this world. God the Son entered this world and lived a perfect life on their behalf died a perfect death on their behalf, and is alive and risen. And out of that belief, they call out to the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not, it's not the words that save us. We don't just puppet words or a prayer. That's not what salvation is. The words are a vehicle that we use, certainly. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, in that place of humility from our heart, we sincerely call out to Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of our life and to save us from our sin and to bring us to heaven when we die, declaring our complete trust, reliance, and hope in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. We ask him to be the Lord of our life and to come into our heart. That's how we become a Christian. 
Again, it's not. It's we we certainly use words when we communicate when we pray. That's not what saves us. Our words. We're saved by what Jesus has done. Um, but it's that posturing and that humility before Him, knowing our desperate need of Him, and in as much and in and in this way we become a Christian. And from there, we're called to have a lifestyle of increasingly living like Jesus, living for Jesus. And that's what these chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, are teaching in this sermon. Jesus is teaching us lifestyle Christianity, how we ought to be living moment by moment, day by day. Nothing we do here saves us. Nothing we do in obeying these chapters and these verses helps us go to heaven. It's only in Jesus Christ and in him alone that we can get to heaven, that our sins are forgiven, that we come into relationship with the triune God. So this famous verse is called the Beatitudes, the, 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 the attitudes that we ought to have as disciples of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we will get rolling. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and God and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are indeed alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the word of God. We ask that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I don't, I don't think we'll get through it all today. This will probably be a two-part teaching on the Beatitudes. Uh, we may only get through six verses today, and we'll do the other six next time. There's just, there's just so much here. I mean, it's mind-boggling how much is in here. Um, scholars have said that you could take all the greatest philosophers in the history of the world, right? The greatest philosophers. Who do you think of when you think of the greatest philosophers? Well, you think of the big three, right? You think of Socrates, you think of Plato, you think of Aristotle, right? Socrates taught Plato, Plato, Aristotle, right? Um, and and the insights they have are, are good, are sound oftentimes. You could take all those greatest philosophers, those three, and all the others, and then you could take the greatest psychiatrists and the greatest counselors that ever lived. And you could take the best of all of their information and you could put it together in three chapters. Take out all the, the nonsense and all that you have left, all the good that you would have left would not compare in, a, in, in even a small fashion to what Jesus has said here. Yeah. So let, let's start studying these chapters a little more. Okay, the whole Bible is the word of God, but the teaching that Jesus is going to give us here in the Sermon on the Mount 
is so profound, so expansive on how we are to live life in Christ that uh, yeah, words can't describe it. You just want to praise the Lord when you keep studying these chapters. And you want to start doing that. Scott, you want to start studying that Bible and just breaking it down a little more. Not just listening to me, not just going to, you know, going to church and listening to the pastor. All that stuff's good. But that's not the that, that's not the, the high call of God on your life. You need to start getting in your Bible. We all need to start getting in our Bible. Good job. All the golly, is it all? Is it all girls? You know, we uh in our ministry we're consistently lifting lifting people up and exhorting them strongly that they need to be in their Bible and we hold them accountable. But I but I'm trying to think. Miss Graham, amazing. Miss Adelaide Griffin, amazing. Ms. Quittitano, amazing. Ms. Elena, amazing. Where are the men? I'm trying to think. Who, who are the guys that I'm... Oh, Mr. Kuhn, good job. My man. Pow, pow. And, and if there's others... Now, there's like 50 people at this, at this study, but I want to know, are you guys studying your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you are you in your Bible every day? Where are you in your Bible? We need to get you on this more and more and more and more. And then, like I said, it's good. I mean, it's a good thing to go to church and hear, to, hear the word of God taught. We, we certainly need to do that. It's good to, to listen to podcasts or YouTube on the word of God being taught, but you need to be in your Bible. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to bang on the table Gets the IT, Stephen, all worked up. All right. Man, this is good. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. and He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Wow. Mm. My, my, my. All right. Verse one. Now, when he saw the crowds. So. There were consistently large crowds, sometimes thousands, following Jesus. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. In those days, it was common for the teacher to sit and for the students to stand. And so Jesus sat down. It says his disciples came to him. So We've often talked about the difference between a Christian and a disciple. It's been said that all disciples are Christians, but few Christians ever become disciples, right? A disciple in Jesus' day was, 
was an apprentice of whomever they were trying to be like. So if you were a disciple of Moses, you were an apprentice of Moses, you were trying to be like Moses and emulate Moses in every way. A disciple of Jesus is, is, is a disciplined follower of Jesus. We actually get our English word discipline from the Latin word disciple. So in order to be a disciple, you need to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, right? You need to discipline yourself in your walk with Jesus. Discipline yourself to study the word of God. Discipline yourself to prayer. Discipline yourself to talk about Jesus and to evangelize. Discipline yourself in thanksgiving. Certainly disciplining yourself and myself in repentance and confessing our sin and going before the Lord and, you know, repenting and uh, of where we have fallen short. But this teaching, these, these, this teaching by Jesus, these three chapters, five, six, seven, are so profound, so overwhelming that they're for disciples. They're not for people who are only Christians. It's, it's only a disciple of Jesus that's going to be able to drink this now and, and feed on it, this kind of teaching. Now, certainly, the crowds would have heard it, and it's good. Christians need to hear good teaching, but it's only a disciple. If you've determined to be a disciple of Jesus, again, all disciples are Christians. A Christian is someone who is saved. They are spiritually alive. They've been born again spiritually. Jesus Christ lives inside of them um, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in them. Has, has has given them spiritual life, regeneration. They are spiritually alive. Their sins are forgiven. They are trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. They're clinging to Jesus as their only hope for eternal life. God the Father is their heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and Master and King. They're part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is their guide, their comforter, and their counselor. If, that, if that's you today, you are a Christian. You know that you're sinful. You know that you're hopeless, helpless, desperate. You know the only hope for you to avoid hell is clinging to Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. If that's you, you are a Christian. Whether you're a disciple or not, that has to be you. That's your only hope of heaven. It's the only hope to avoid hell. It's the only way that God the Father can be your heavenly Father. The only way. It doesn't matter whether you think you are a Christian, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, um, um, Muslim, Hindu, Confucianism, all the other isms, isms, whatever they are, only in Jesus Christ can we have our sins forgiven. Can God the Father be our heavenly Father, and can we and can we ultimately go to heaven when we die? Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches unequivocally.
But a disciple now is something more than that. A disciple is trusting in Christ with all their heart, and they are a Christian. But now they have also determined and implemented a lifestyle of living for Jesus. They are, they're not perfect by any means, nor will we be, but they are disciplining themselves to have a, a, a walk with Jesus Christ. They are, they are an apprentice of Jesus Christ. They're trying to be like Jesus more and more in every way. They have a lifestyle of studying the word of God and trying to be like Jesus and trying to live for him. They have a lifestyle of pressing into relationship with Jesus in prayer, again, in thanksgiving. They have a lifestyle of community with other believers. So I guess the question is, are, are you a disciple today? Or are you a Christian today? Only a Christian? Or are you neither? If you're not a Christian, rewind the tape or however that works, and go back to what I said and how you become a Christian and give your life to Jesus Christ earnestly and humbly and seriously. Now, once you become a Christian, do you just have a habit of, say, Sunday church and you really spend no time with him for the rest of the week? Because if that's the case, that's not a disciple. That's not a disciplined follower of Christ. A disciple has Jesus and his ways and his kingdom on their heart every day. And now, you know, there are also different levels of discipleship, right? Obviously, once we cross over from just being a completely worldly person, and we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we become a Christian. Then you, then you step up from being just a Christian, just having received his forgiveness, to being a disciple. That you're now beginning to live your life a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more for Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus. You're trying to live for Jesus. You're, you're starting to repent of your sins more and more and more. And now we spend the rest of our lives growing in that level of discipleship. And it's the greatest privilege in the world, y'all. It's not something we have to do, Dustin. It's something we get to do. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. So the, the, the substance of this teaching is for those who are wanting to be disciples. If you're a Christian today and you're not a disciple, that's sinful. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. He didn't say to go and make Christians, but we do have to be a Christian first before we can be a disciple. But he, but he wants us all and expects us all to be his disciples, growing to obey and live our life the way he's instructed us. 
So if that's not if that's doesn't that doesn't describe you today, then you have a place of repentance to go before Jesus. You're already saved if you're a Christian. And you say, Lord, you know, I do repent. I think I am more of just a Christian than I am a disciple, than I am your disciple, Jesus, and I want to be your disciple. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of unrighteousness, cleanse me of just of just caring about, you know, getting my heavenly ticket punched. And uh, Lord Jesus, I want to begin to live my life for you more and more and more. That's the first step in moving from a Christian to a disciple. And then you begin each day to spend some time, you know, read a chapter of your Bible every day. You can listen to teachings like this one or, um, you know, just good Bible-based teachings. You know, you can start implementing them into your, into your week. You can, you start, you start having conversations about Jesus with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you start attending a Bible study or two. Start having a prayer life, right? And really spending time in prayer with the Lord. You know, you can talk to him throughout your day, your waking hours. He, he'll always, he's always be there. Jesus always wants to talk to you. Your heavenly father wants to get to know you, right? You want to grow as a disciple in your relationship with with God the Father and grow in your relationship with Jesus and grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right. Golly, we just, and we're rolling. His disciples came to him. Verse one. And he began to teach them saying, so you see that he's teaching disciples. Now, again, even if you're not a disciple today, certainly this could be heard by, by more than just his disciples. And this probably is denoting, this is probably not just speaking about the 12 by any means. This is probably speaking of others who were, who were just consistently following Jesus. And then certainly there was ones in the crowd who just showed up for this. So everyone could hear it. So again, certainly the teaching is for everyone. Even if you wouldn't say you're a disciple today, you want to be a disciple and you want to listen to it. And as you begin to live according to it, you will become a disciple and a growing and maturing disciple. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the first beatitude proper attitude that you should have. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Lauren, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why is this first and what does it mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You'll note that all of these are blessings. I said in Bible study yesterday, if we are uh, rational individuals, we want all the blesseds. Verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, four. Blessed are the meek, five. Blessed are those hunger and thirst for righteousness, six. Blessed are the merciful, seven. Blessed are the pure in heart, eight. Blessed are the peacemakers, nine. Blessed are those who are persecuted, 10. You do want those blessings, right? Blessed, 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 blessed. We want those blessings. Do you want the blessings of the Lord? Of course you do. All of us do. So the first blessed, the first blessing are for those who are 
what's called here poor in spirit. For theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. Verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, Corinne, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit, Uncle Dennis? What does it mean, Pop? To be poor in spirit means that you have a foundational understanding of your spiritual poverty. You have an understanding of your spiritual bankruptcy. That you understand, and I understand, that we are all together deficient spiritually. And that we are in complete and desperate need of help. Until we get to a place that we are poor in spirit, that we literally live our lives knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, he didn't say blessed are the poor naturally. Blessed are the poor physically. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not until you understand your spiritual poverty, your spiritual bankruptcy, that you will understand your need to be filled up spiritually. Most people in the world think they're okay or they're, they're utterly indifferent. They, they have no concept of their spiritual life at all, right? The scripture says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so as human beings, we just, we're not just natural beings, we're also spiritual beings. But the Bible teaches that because of our sinful nature, we enter this world spiritually dead. You can't get more bankrupt than dead. You can't get more poor than dead. You can't be more deficient than dead. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we, we come into spiritual life. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. It's only in receiving Jesus Christ into our heart as our Savior that we come into eternal life, spiritual life. So it begins at salvation. But remember, we said that that this sermon is a lifestyle sermon. It's not speaking as much about salvation. But there is no question that we cannot come into eternal life, spiritual life, and go to heaven until we really understand our spiritual poverty and our need for spiritual life in Jesus Christ. But to be blessed are the poor in spirit as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ today, or if you're a Christian today, do you, do you have a lifestyle of really, on a daily basis, understanding your spiritual poverty? Because, you know, when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up and begin your day just already filled up, already have all the Jesus you want? Already satisfied, 
certainly I confess that there are days that, that I do wake up and I'm not poor in spirit. There are days when I wake up and I, I think I'm doing okay. Now, this has nothing to do with our salvation. Okay, again, you're saved, as I've said already, by what Christ has done. I'm talking about as a lifestyle. It's when I understand my spiritual poverty that I want more Jesus. Right, Armando? Right, Ezekiel? It's not until I, I really recognize that, man, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I'm saved. I'm spiritually alive. I'm born again. Jesus Christ lives in me. I'm going to heaven. I am a Christian and I believe I'm a disciple. But still, I don't have enough. Do, do, you, not, do you not feel? Do you not see? Do you not just look at your life and think, man, I just, I want more Jesus. I know him as my Lord and my Savior and I'm walking with him, but I, I need more Jesus. If, if you don't see your ongoing spiritual poverty as a disciple, you won't, you won't desire more. Certainly when we get saved, spiritual life comes in us and we do have Jesus living in us, but it doesn't end there. Certainly, we're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. But blessed are the poor in spirit. We certainly need to recognize our spiritual poverty, but do we live with this aspect that, that, that we need more, right? Someone who's rich, right? Blessed are the rich in spirit. It doesn't say that, right? When we have an attitude that we're rich, that we're full, that we have all I need, we're not chasing after Christ. But it's that desire, that hunger, that understanding that I'm missing something and I want more Jesus today. Man, he says, if this is the attitude of your life, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's when we understand our spiritual poverty that we come to Christ and we're born again. And yes, we'll go to heaven. But then when we live a lifestyle of understanding and we become poor in spirit more and more and more, that's, that's when ours is really the kingdom of heaven. That's when we will begin to walk more and more in the order and rhythm of heaven. Right, Mike? That's when we will begin to experience heaven more and more and more and more. I had a, it was just a, a pastor at our church years ago, Michael Rann, and uh, I, I was always loved it when he said this phrase, the order and rhythm of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not just talking about going to heaven which certainly you cannot do until you recognize your spiritual poverty. But this is talking about like moving and experiencing the kingdom of heaven in this life. Anything better than that? All of these, by the way, 
as we move on through these Beatitudes, you're going to see that it's going to take a more and more mature disciple to walk them out. But this one everybody can do. Everybody can today believe and acknowledge their spiritual lack. Everybody can rationally look at their lives and say, you know what? I am spiritually bankrupt. If you're not a Christian, you can recognize your utter bankruptcy in every manner and every way and give yourself to Jesus Christ, receiving him as your Lord and Savior, calling out to him, humbling yourself before him, desperately knowing he is your only hope and that you're helpless without him. And you will become a Christian and Jesus Christ will come and live in your heart and you will come into spiritual life. But for those of us who are Christians today or, or, or disciples, even we today can acknowledge that, you know what, I'm not, I don't, I don't recognize and desire Jesus enough I still have, you know, desires for a lot of things. And Jesus isn't really where he ought to be in my life enough today. And I, and I really don't have a, a spiritual richness about me that makes my life all about Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? We're going to get into some of these others as you move down. Blessed are the meek. And, and this is now we're going to get into some kind of high, serious Christian, you know, uh, virtues that are, that take years and years to develop, but anyone can do this one. And all of the rest of the Beatitudes build off your understanding of being poor in spirit. Does that make sense? We'll do one more and then we'll wrap up. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does it mean to mourn? To grieve, right? You can look at this in two ways, okay? As my wife said yesterday, certainly we do mourn and grieve when we have friends or relatives or brothers and sisters in Christ who have a, a loss in their life or a hurt or a pain in their life, and we do mourn with them, right? And that's certainly something we ought to do. But that's, that's not as much what this is saying. When it says, blessed are those who mourn, Leah, it's saying, number one, do you mourn? When you have poverty of spirit, when you see your, your spiritual poverty, when you see that you're not filled spiritually and enlightened spiritually and walking with Jesus spiritually as you ought to, and when you, when you see areas of your life that are out of place because of that, do you mourn over it? Do you mourn and grieve over the, the sin in your life and the, and the things that are out of place in your life? Do you mourn over the fact that you don't have the depth of intimacy with Jesus Christ and the relationship with your heavenly father that you would like? Do you mourn over the, the aspects of your life that are, that are not where they ought to be? Blessed are those who mourn, for, for they will be comforted. And, and, and then from there, obviously we begin with ourselves. Do you mourn over, over other people 
over your family. You mourn over people who haven't received Jesus Christ. You mourn over the fact that they cannot see heaven. Do you mourn over the fact that hell is the only, the only other alternative? Do you mourn over, over fellow Christians that are, that are not living their life in Jesus Christ the way they ought? None of us are perfect. None of us do this as we ought to do, but we ought to have a lifestyle of increasingly living for Jesus Christ increasingly repenting and seeing the areas of our life that are out of place. Do you mourn over fellow believers who are not walking with Christ as they ought to? Again, you have to start with ourselves, right? Be pretty hypocritical to mourn over other people's sin and things that are out of place, but not our own. But do you have that kind of heart to mourn over your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you grieve over it? And are you trying to Exhort them and encourage them. Because he says here, blessed are those who mourn. You'll be blessed, for they will be comforted. And that sound good to be comforted? I mean, Jesus gives it to you right here. If you have a lifestyle of, number one, being poor in spirit, experiencing the kingdom of heaven more and more, mourning where that's not the case in your life and in that of others, you'll, you will experience comfort. From your heavenly father. It's incredible. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll stop there. And then Lord willing, next time we'll do five through 12. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for just your incredible word. We thank you for the holy scriptures. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you, Lord, that we get to study our Bible and read our Bible and just spend time with you, Lord. We just thank you for the holy scriptures that you've given us. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness on our lives. We just thank you for being our heavenly Father. We thank you above all for Jesus, Father, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts. We ask you to Lead us and guide us, giving us eyes that see and ears that hear as we go forth. Convict us in the word of God, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.